It's time once again for another thrilling episode of Mark Out Radio. Of Mark Out Radio. For the next hour, sit back, pull the stick out of your ass, and enjoy. Be warned, though, smarks and internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Market Radio. Berg Dark Fox here with you again this week. <clears throat> I'm sure having the Nitro theme song in the background is going to get me a fucking another YouTube strike. <laughs> Fuck it. It happened last week again. Anyways, episode 63 for November 25th, 1996. Wacomico, Civic Center, Salisbury, Maryland. Nobody all night could agree on the pronunciation of the Civic Center. They just kept saying it's from Salisbury and over-enunciating the shit out of that. But anyways... This week, hosted by Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco, Mike Today, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. This is the 24th week in a row. Yes, we are still doing this gimmick. Where Nitro wins the ratings war that is a war with a 3.1 to Raw's 2.1. Last night was World War III where the Giant won and would never ever get a shot at the belt. Even though they created the goddamn World War III concept to compete directly with the Royal Rumble. And even though they've been pushing that the winner gets a shot at the champ. I just, God. last year, if you remember, Savage won, and he won a vacated WCW World Heavyweight title. Next year, spoiler alert, really? I can't get, I can't get anything out of you? Spoilers. Can you turn it up for me, maybe? Spoilers. Thank you. Jesus. Hall wins, challenges for the championship at Uncensored 98 in 1998. Uh, the last year WCW had this pay-per-view because WWF was successful in yet another lawsuit against them. Nash would win and challenge at Starcade 98. Now, listen, let's talk briefly about this lawsuit. <laughs> it reached its conclusion in early 99. Three days after World War III in 1995, Titan Sports filed a lawsuit against Turner Broadcasting System for copyright infringement. Titan owned the rights or the trademark to the Royal Rumble name and the concept. Their claim was that World War III wasn't different enough to not be in violation of that copyright and trademark. In 1996, though, TBS became Time Warner. So the lawsuit had to be refiled and ended up at the bottom of the pile again. This was just a happy coincidence. It wasn't done on purpose, I assure you. That Time Warner merger was one of the largest media deals of the time, and WCW was a teeny tiny little piece of that. In 1998, Titan Sports would legally change their name to World Wrestling Federation, Inc. The purpose of that was that Vince had, at that point, bought everybody else out of their interest in Titan Sports and wanted to rebrand his company. The World Wildlife Fund, though, sued them for breach of contract. The Wrestling Fed and the Wildlife Fund reached an agreement in 1994 that no one seems to have access to, but essentially what it boiled down to was that WWF could continue using the old-school WWF logo, but wouldn't be allowed to come up with anything new, whereas World Wildlife Fund could do whatever the fuck they wanted, essentially. But again, can't find any fucking copy, or can't find any legal documents, despite the World Wildlife Fund being a registered charity and having to divulge that shit to any Freedom of Information request. If you do submit an FOI to the Wildlife Fund for... This alleged agreement that existed between Vince and the World Wildlife Fund, they will just 
drag their fucking heels until you get so fucking frustrated that you just say, fuck it. All right, whatever. But here's the thing. They had to do that in England. They didn't file the lawsuit here. They filed it in the UK courts. Anyways, the World Wrestling Federation changed their name to the World Wrestling Federation Entertainment. They took the F out of their logo, which at least played into the Attitude Era. Once all of these distractions are out of the way, though, the WWE leaned heavy into their lawsuit with now Time Warner, which is kind of ballsy for Vince because at the time he was bleeding cash and it's Time fucking Warner. But eventually they were awarded precisely zero dollars, but WCW had to stop using the World War III concept because again, Time Warner had this little WCW brand on their in their fucking company portfolio that was like teeny tiny until it started creating problems like this. And then it becomes part of everyone's attention. And that will only serve to make things worse for all of us going forward. Revisionist history is fun for the whole fucking family because Eric claims that this was a victory because he didn't even like the World War III concept, even though it was his fucking concept in the first place. Jesus Christ. On this episode of Nitro, though, there was $38,365 gate with 3,278 in attendance. We've got no idea how many paid to actually be there. At this point, WCW was pretty over and would give away between 5 and 10% of the tickets for media promotions. It's fairly common practice today to budget for about 10% of your gate to be promotions. Unless you're like the Rolling Stones or Garth Brooks and you don't need radio stations to push ticket sales for you. They'll do it voluntarily. This show kicks off with Tony and Larry recapping still images of World War III and Piper signing the contract to face Hogan at Starcade. They moved on to promoting the U.S. title tournament starting tonight and will wrap up at Starcade as well. Start off the matches tonight with a U.S. Championship Tournament qualifier round. Lex Luger versus Arn Anderson ends in a no contest. Three and a half out of five. Now, this does two things. One is it takes Luger out of the U.S. title hunt. And with how much they keep pushing him to go over, having him have the U.S. title, not having him have the world title or something else was probably not a great idea. They could keep him perpetually in the mid card as sort of on a roll for quite some time. But this is another holding pattern deal for Lex, whose contract was up and he was getting a nice fat re. <laughs> He's getting a nice fat one as opposed to the one that he got when he originally signed with the company. Again, another raise. Anyways, I gave this one three and a half out of five. Anderson comes out sporting the new Horseman t shirt. The announcers could have picked up on this and put it over as part of the ongoing heat within the Horseman but they failed to do so. Luger comes out and he's making his way to the ring when the camera catches some poor fat balding Mark with sting makeup on and a white t-shirt with the sting crow swooshes um, and eyes on it. I just, all oh, these poor, poor bastards. I just, I, I got nothing. You are a big Mark. Tony shoots on Larry again about last week's outsider altercation, threatens to leave him back in the announced position, which Sort of was an empty threat, but not really because Larry couldn't carry the show by himself. Then I had to come out and help him. But anyways, it's a commercial break about seven minutes into this match, followed by Luger botching a spot, following Anderson into a whip into the ropes. Anderson raises his knee. Luger sells it as uh, gives Anderson the opening to uh, take over and allow the heat to build for him. Not a bad adjustment after a fuck up and kind of surprised me that Luger, not that he botched, that's not something that's very surprising, but the fact that he actually recovered in style. It was actually pretty impressive. Giant comes out to cut a promo claiming the U.S. title is his. He's not even in the tournament, which is another oversight. Now, you might be asking yourself, why isn't the Giant in the U.S. tournament, U.S. title tournament? 
uh, why wouldn't he get a shot at Hogan? Well, apparently your ego can be even too big for Hogan to handle. It's just, I'm not playing it. You have to play it. All right, thank you. Jesus. Uh, apparently he pissed off Hogan backstage, so it doesn't matter how little this makes sense. Instead of burying him with a program like a normal booker would, they just let him go out there and cut embarrassing promos, let the announcers try to figure it out, and how to make this all make sense. Now, Sullivan was hot on the giant, and so was Bischoff, but when the Golden Goose, who has creative control over his own character, speaks, you do. Mark Curtis has no point, no choice as Luger gets Anderson up in the rack on the outside of the ring and calls for a double countout at seven seconds and then calls for a double countout at ten. Zero point zero. I mean, overall, it was a pretty solid match. Again, three and a half out of five. Told a good story and got the crowd into wrestling. So Sullivan's stance that you have to start a wrestling show with a wrestling match stands. Although we're going to come back to this a little bit at the end of the show here. Back from commercial break, it's time for a still image slideshow from World War III, voiced over by Tony and Larry, followed by an NWO promo, which starts off as uh, Bischoff leading the Outsiders, Giant Six, and Vince down to the ring. His mic doesn't work on the broadcast, it just works in the uh, arena, which is awesome. Thank you, production. Now, Eric's promo has a lot of iconic lines in it that get used in a lot of NWO retrospectives, but let's talk about how this NWO gimmick has gone off the rails a little bit. Let's look at it in terms of business. Because Eric likes to talk about business, the business of being cutting edge, the business of being the NWO, the business of being fucking Eric Bischoff, who can't, for the life of me, I can't understand, couldn't sell a fucking energy drink to Americans. Anyways, there's a hostile takeover brewing, so the president of the company decides to throw into the company taking over. Cool. Pretty common practice there. Then that new company, which still hasn't take over despite having the president, the money guy, the new blood, all under their umbrella, are going to give the rest of the old company 30 days to join the new company or you will be branded the enemy. It's a little bit like reality TV version of how the Time Warner merger happened. Actually, that's exactly how the Time Warner merger happened. So for those of you still worshiping in the altar of Eric Bischoff, being a brilliant creative genius, just understand he's essentially airing all of Turner's dirty laundry on TV for ratings, and Ted loves it. Not for the first time, it's been done and far from the best version of this whole song and dance. But to be fair, I do remember watching this as a teenager and buying into it pretty hard. You are a yes. big mark. Thank you, thank you. But if you think about it for a second, WCW wrestlers don't want to join the NWO. What is that's going to happen that's any different than what's going on now? Will Eric force wrestlers into matches they don't want? Wrestlers wrestle. What difference would it make? Uh, there's, there's what, eight guys in the NWO? Didn't we just have a 60-man battle royal? So that's 13% of the locker room is NWO. And aren't they even using the same fucking locker room? So what's, what's going to happen? What? Oh, they're going to attack WCW wrestlers? How is that any different than what's been happening up until now? If you're not with us, you're against us? That's what the fucking MO since day one. What the fuck are you even talking about? It's just, Jesus fucking Christ, it doesn't make any goddamn sense when you stop and think about it for a second. But again, at the time, I remember buying into it really hard. Anyway, so the, oh dear. Don't, oh, don't, don't do that. You just love getting me in trouble, don't you? Okay, the American males come down to ringside. No, they do not have their theme song on. Turn it off. <laughs> Can you hear me? You are. American males, American. 
It's the last time I'm going to be able to play this, by the way, in good conscience. Anyways, uh, Bagwell comes down and joins while Riggs, well, Riggs gets his neck broken by Bagwell. Now, it would have been the perfect opportunity here for the Outsiders to cut a promo on Paige, saying, now do you get it? Because it would have tied together weeks and weeks of this whole Marx Brothers routines of these guys uh, doing promos saying, he doesn't get it. Oh, you mean he doesn't get it? Yeah, he just doesn't get it. No, he doesn't get it. Doesn't get it. Now do you get it? So you could have just, all of that could have made sense with literally five words. Like, just let Nash, he's already got the fucking microphone in his hands. Just say, hey, Paige, now do you get it? I, and, and listen. DDP's got the next match. He's going to cut it after the match promo. He could have said in that, hey, now I fucking get it. But he didn't. He just said, he danced around saying, now you get it. I just, I mean, Jesus Christ, you're going to lean in that hard on playing this fucking Marx Brothers routine for weeks on end and then not give people the payoff. It's no wonder people were getting shit on. <laughs> it's just like... I, the production staff, the bookers, like the the whole back office is getting shit on all the time because the wrestlers who are let's running the fucking show here aren't doing the fucking lines to end and tie things together. I listen. I know that Eric couldn't give two shits because as long as it doesn't affect him, he doesn't really give a rat's ass. But Sullivan actually legitimately has OCD issues. I I can't imagine he's not backstage losing his shit. Well, then again, maybe he's just watching Nancy and Chris make out or something. Anyways. Like I said, after this DDP defeats Disco Inferno with a diamond cutter, I uh, gave it one out of five. It was just the battle of Eric's buddies, uh, essentially just another job match for Disco. After this, there's an in-ring promo with Gene and DDP. Uh, he addresses all of Gene's questions for a change, doesn't dance around him this time, but he still doesn't confirm or deny whether he's going to join the NWO. Overall, though, it was an okay promo. I just felt like it was a wasted effort to not have the get it line in there somehow. Back from break. Tony tells us again about the website while Larry reveals that he can't even start a computer. The fucking, like, you look back on the 90s and you think, yeah, you know, it was, you know, it was a thing. Uh, the internet was in its infancy. Everyone still had all these great grand dreams of <laughs> what the internet would become. I mean, we all kind of know what it is now. But, I mean, back in the mid-90s, holy fucking shit, the wrestling company's got a website? I can read information online and don't have to go to encyclopedias? I just, oh, it was the 90s. The 90s really were a different time. I, that's honestly the first time I've been able to say that, and it hasn't been a shoot. Anyways, WCW TV champion Lord Steven Regal defeats Tony Pena, or Piena, in, two and a, in I don't know how long. I gave two and a half out of five. Regal is wearing one of the robes that Hunter Hearst Helmsley left behind when he left the WWF. No joke. I'm not even being, I'm not being a smart ass on this one. It's one of Triple H's elitist snob persona robes. Why? Because Regal's luggage was lost and all he had was his carry-on, which of course, because he's a fucking professional, he keeps his tights and his boots in there, but can't keep his robe in there because it'll wrinkle. So his robes, uh, I think he's, I think at that point he had what a dozen of them all got lost. So what did they do? They raided the wardrobe department. What do they have left over? Ah, fuck it. It's Helmsley's. It makes sense. Eh, give him the fucking ascot too. Why not? Speaking of pros, Tony Piana is the founder of Triple A, the company WCW has been partnered with to build their cruiserweight division. If you watch Triple A today, actually, you'll see his widow come down to ringside with his framed portrait at large events as he passed away in 2006. Now, at the risk of speaking ill of the dead, Tony Pena is the Vince McMahon of Mexico. 
uh, he would trademark wrestlers' names and masks in an effort to keep them on his shows only. The original Psychosis and La Parca became Nicho Al Milione, Milionario? Fuck, I can't even get my lips around that shit. Anyways, and L.A. Park, who we all know as being Psychosis with a Y, and La Parca, but everyone, his name was L.A. Park. Ah, uh, whatever. They would come up, AAA would come up with Psychosis 2 and their own version of La Parca. Um, they didn't really change the costumes all that much. Just a couple subtle differences so that they'd know what they were looking at if it ever made its way onto television somewhere. Uh, they never really left AAA also, by the way, which is how Piano would have wanted it. Is it gross? Kind of. I mean, I've always had this love-hate relationship with promoters trademarking wrestler names and, and, uh, and their appearances. It feels a little territorial and childish, but given the nature of the business, that actually makes a lot of sense, especially in AAA. With the advent of NXT brand and WWE and AAA, these companies spent a lot of time and money building a brand around a wrestler, and they don't want to see that money go elsewhere. So there are always going to be exceptions, of course, to this rule, but while it's shady, it's business. And listen, frankly, it's not nearly as fucking shady as some of the business practices that we consider normal today. So... I know in retrospect, it seems a little fucking gross. And when we see it happen today, it's a little fucking gross. But I mean, Jesus, they're just trying to protect their intellectual property to a certain extent. There are always going to be instances like the warrior. <laughs> so uh, if you want to know what happened with all that, just fucking Google it because <laughs> we'll get to the warrior eventually. And I'm sure I'll shoot on it at some point because I am also a big warrior mark slash dumbass for a warrior. But um, Jesus. Anyways, the PlayStation replay of the finish here showed the WCW starting to get some more mainstream marketing going on to their shows. Afterwards, there's a Gene Rant promo with Rick Steiner. He was in Japan. That's why he hasn't been on TV lately. But he wants to make clear now that he's back and he and Scotty are WCW guys. Are they really? All right. Anyways, he wants to know what's up with Sting. He knows that Luger's a WCW guy. Gene holds his hand in the kayfabe way that he does and helps him get the promo done. It's so funny because the guy's actually an award-winning realtor. And in the Atlanta area. And, and an elected school board member. He was never an idiot. But he did play one on TV. After this, we get a non-WO Outsiders t-shirt promo. Thank you. WCW US Championship Tournament Qualifier match here has Eddie DeGuerro defeating Conan in, I don't know how long, three out of five on that one. Hour two starts with today's volume level lower than the theme song and definitely lower than the pyro. Nice production from WCW's professionals there again. Tony joins Tanae and Heenan in the stage announced position. Another great production decision, though this time at least there's a reason since there was legally two shows still on TV, just like over on Raw. This is going to change eventually, but until then, we get to sit through waiting for Tony to run from ringside all the way to the entrance ramp stage. Heenan shoots on how many Guerreros there are, uh, but only, of course, one made it to the top of the pile, and we are watching him in his fucking formative years. Conan was still being a little weird and protecting himself in this match. Maybe there's some shoot history that I can't find about these two, but Conan seems to be a little bit weird and protects himself and kind of shoots a little bit when in matches, especially with Mexicans he's faced it before, or people that he's faced in AAA. Or CMLL, for that matter. Now, this is not for the AAA title, so Conan would, of course, eat the loss on this one. Back from break, we recap some more of World War III via still images, while fans in the background chant for Regal. Big Bubba defeats Rick Steiner. I gave that one two and a half out of five. Bubba claims that this is what a real man looks like as he comes to the ring wearing a leather jacket and matching pants. Awesome. 
Rick comes down, continuing to sell his heat with Sting. Tony plugs the edited down Sullivan Benoit match from Saturday night before the pay-per-view on this week's Saturday night. Sting appears, oh Jesus, Sting appears in the crowd again to a pop from the crowd, makes his way down to the ring and in creepy clown makeup again, gets into the ring and Scorpion Death drops Ricky, giving Bubba the chance for his, I don't know, first W in God knows how long. That golden-voiced bastard Lee Marshall delivers his 1-800-collect-road report while shooting on Heenan again with this pin-the-tail-on-the-weasel line. This is just becoming his ongoing joke, which, of course, Heenan adores. Rey Mysterio Jr. defeats Psychosis. This one I gave 3 out of 5. This is a post-Psychosis leaving the AAA for WCW with the owner in the locker room this week. I can't help but wonder if there is some heat backstage. Also, LaParca's in WCW at this point, so one has to wonder what the fuck was going on and why the hell Tony Piano even came on the show. But I guess if he's invited, he's invited. Ultimo Dragon comes out on the ramp with Sonny Ono and his eight belts. Uh, there's an over-the-top rope DQ spot here that was uh, performed, but Tony drew attention to it, um, even though the ref pretended it didn't really happen. So thank you on that one, Tony. <laughs> Psychosis goes for a middle rope razor's edge. Uh, now, listen, there's a couple of websites I go to to have a look at what the card is before I go and watch the card. And one of them had this called the what was it? The What would what did Jarrett call it? The fall from the mountain or the mountain over or some shit like that. Um, this is a razor's edge. And I understand that Jarrett did something similar. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But credit where his credit's due. They don't, They call it a Luthez press. They do not call it the Austin press. So, anyways. Ray reverses this into a Hunter for the W. It wasn't the cleanest I've ever seen this done, but it is damn near impossible, and only a handful of wrestles in AAA ever did manage to pull it off. There's a Gene Ram promo after this with Benoit and Woman. Mostly kayfabe. Um, there's a bit of a shoot, uh, as Benoit calls himself the man, asks Sullivan if he sees himself in Chris then comments on his corporate ties. Woman gets the stick and refuses to let Jean help set her up. This was a total shoot from her, and she not only said that it's over, but when she grabbed the mic with her left hand, she showed that she wasn't even wearing the ring. I again, though, I mean, if you've been taking Benoit stabbings for months, it was over way before this fucking promo claimed it was over. And by the way, both Chris and Kevin look like they've been in a fucking bus accident. Back from break, Tony, Mike, and Bobby set up the contract signing. Then we dumped to World War III footage of Piper signing the contract to face Hogan and all of the NWO shenanigans that go along with that. Again, now, Eric will claim that little things like putting the tartan cloth on the table in the ring were so, their little way of making sure Piper knew this wasn't going to be a rib or that he wasn't going to get fucked. Now, knowing Hogan, Piper was always on guard during his time in WCW, and some people may call that paranoia. I call that intelligence. I still like the Piper shoots on Vincent for breaking him in, but uh, the thing is, Eric, like a dope, agreed to give Piper a live mic as part of his contract with WCW so that he could say... Whatever the fuck he wants to say, because Hogan told him that's how Piper was at his best. And he wasn't wrong either. Write that one down. Piper is best doing improv. But here's the problem. When you've got the mic skills of Hogan and Bischoff, meaning that you need writers and bookers to help you work on and practice your fucking promos, 
Going improv for a fucking promo is not the best idea if you don't want to look like a slack-jawed fucking idiot. After this, Jeff Jarrett defeats Alex Wright. I gave that three and a half out of five. The gyrating twink never seems to get much of a chance to actually wrestle, so we often forget that he can actually work. Instead, we remember things like Berlin and all the instances where WCW bookers effectively bury him after he won Rookie of the Year from PWI in 1994. But he still eats a loss in a ridiculously short match uh, as a job. I mean, here's the thing. When I mentioned at the top of the show that we'd talk about this again, uh, that first match, if you had given this match another five, ten minutes and put this one at the top of the show, that would have been fucking excellent. There's no reason why Luger and Anderson couldn't have had their fight later on in the match. If you had Jeff Jarrett and Alex Wright start your show, that would have been a fucking wrestling match. Anyways, the announcers now recap World War III, the match itself, via still images. To conclude, Bobby and Tony say that if the Giant doesn't get a shot at Hogan, then Hogan, according to Bobby, is snowing him. Which is, unfortunately, Heenan is becoming more and more prone to breaking kayfabe because it's being encouraged, of course, by the smiling idiot. Snowing somebody is keeping somebody out in the cold or denying a wrestler their chance to move up the card in an effort to protect your spot. So Hogan is snowing the giant. And that, my friends, is a fucking shoot because it's exactly what's fucking happening. After this, Faces of Fear versus Harlem Heat ends in a no contest. Three and a half out of five on that one. Tony Shoots on Brains continued use of the words humanoid. I liked, the, I liked the humanoids. I know it got overused. It got overused a lot on TBS. So when he tried to bring it into Nitro, it just kind of... It didn't go over as big as it did before. The Faces of Fear pull off that awesome, awesome high back body drop into a powerbomb. Though this time it looks a little less awesome. First of all, Barbarian's back is to the hard cam. And he didn't quite catch Booker properly. So it's not the best version of this. But again, I'm a little bit dismayed that this doesn't have a fucking name. I Listen... It, if you know what the name of this fucking move is, please shoot me an email, mlrmarket at gmail.com or tweet me or Facebook, whatever the fuck else the producers got this shit on. Anyways, the ref doesn't bother hiding that he's calling for the go home from both teams as he scurries from one corner to the other. Seconds later, the NWO come running out with Hall, Nash, Giant, Vincent, Six, and Bagwell to lay a beating on everyone. Giant choke slams Booker and then Ming before the show goes to black with the black and white in the ring. Overall, I mean, the show was pretty good. Uh, so was Raw, though, this week. Both shows would see a spike in the ratings next week as a result. But Nitro here, the use of the packages um, has started to take some heat out of the live audiences. They're going to be watching these packages on the big screens like everybody else. Now, today, with the ongoing pandemic, when they do something like Undertaker and AJ's match, when they've got pretty much all of it being staged movie footage, it doesn't matter because there's no live audience to get bored. There's no live audience to be like, oh, why are we watching television? Why did I pay money to come and watch TV? But when you're at an actual show, a live wrestling show, and you have to sit through 50 minutes of television at an event where you paid money to go see, <clears throat> I'd be pissed off too. Anyways, it makes the crowd a little bit cold as a result. It makes the home audience think that this show is actually worse than it really was. The final run-in from the NWO was good, but rushed for time. They didn't usually do an actual literal run-in they would walk down intimidating but because the hogan piper segment ran as long as it did they had to rush the end of the show a little bit now that doesn't hurt the nwo to do an actual run-in it's just not as impressive as the slow walk and beaking 
that usually goes on. Overall, give this show a three and a half out of five. Decent, solid episode of Nitro. And next week, uh, the ratings will be up as a result. Well, that was an abortion of a show. Should the mood take you, check out MarkOutRadio.com and leave a comment. You can also find links there to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher channels. You can even leave a voicemail on our Skype. Just click the links and share them. 